It seems only uh, yesterday, beloved listeners, that uh, the Little Wilders program was being denied visas thither and yon, not only by um, Trump's America, not only by Beijing, but most emphatically by Prime Minister Modi. But we are undaunted, and we still did our best and do our best to tell you what's going on in Indian politics. Hence, uh, early last year, I spoke to author and activist Arundhati Roy. I think it was probably the third or fourth time I'd spoken to Arundhati. And she was critical of the lack of action taken by Modi to prevent the spread of the virus. Back in 2018, I spoke to uh, Pamela Philippos from the news publication The Wire in New Delhi, and Suruth Pathasarathy, journalist and attorney at the Madras High Court about the issues of press freedom in India and, sadly, things are not getting any better. My uh, guest tonight is going to detail how the ruling BJP regime is using anti-terror laws to silence its critics, including journalists, writers, academics and public intellectuals like Dr Hani Babu, as you will shortly hear. Paranjoy Guha Tugata is a freelance investigative journalist, author and documentary filmmaker. He's written for The Wire, NewsClick, Business Today, Business World, The Telegraph and India Today, and um, says he's himself been targeted for criticising the government. We've been able to get a visa for Parajoy so he can make his debut on our little program all the way from Delhi. Can you, well, first of all, welcome. I wonder if you could begin by telling us the curious case of Dr. Honey Babu. Okay, thank you so much, Mr. Philip Adams, for having me. Professor Honey Babu, who was arrested uh, in July 20. 20, used to teach English at the University of Delhi. He was charged with violating certain provisions of uh, what many consider, including me, consider a very draconian law called the Unlawful Activities Prevention Act, UAPA in short. Besides, several sections of the Indian Penal Code, some of which were put together over a century ago when India was ruled by its British colonial masters. And these provisions include waging war, within quotes, waging war or attempting to wage war against the state, in this case, the government of India. So Professor Hani Babu has been accused of being or supporting a banned organization called the Communist Party of India Marxist. He's not alone. There are some 16 activists, academics, lawyers, journalists who were arrested after a particular incident took place on New Year's Day 2018. In Pune, in Western India, in the state of Maharashtra, there were violent clashes between 
upper caste groups and Dalit groups. Dalit uh, is, is a name we use for the lowest of the low castes who, who are socially at the bottom of the ladder. Now, there's a bit of history, and maybe I'll give you a little bit of it. There was a clash at a place called Bhima Koregao. Bhima Koregao was the site of a battle way back in 1818, where Dalits, who were then part of the British East India Company's army, they defeated a much bigger army, which were led by the Marathas, who are the upper caste uh, people of Maharashtra. And the British erected a victory, uh, a, a pillar, a, a victory pillar there. So this place has become a site where those who uh, belong to the lowest caste and they celebrate the first of the new year of each year. Despite the fact that they worked for the colonial rulers and despite the fact that their, their uh, opponents were upper castes, Indians, it's more symbolic than anything else. Now, when on the 1st of January 2018, there were clashes, the National Intelligence Agency accused these lawyers like Hani Babu, Rona Wilson, Vernon Gonzalez, Anantel Temtun, Teltumde, yes, uh, Shoma Sen, Sudha Bhardwaj, Gautam Navlaka, Arun Ferreira, and put them behind bars. There are two particular instances which I'd like to elaborate on. One was that of a poet, writer, and teacher called Varavara Rao. He's 82 years of age. He's now out on bail after the intervention of the Supreme Court. But another person was not so lucky. 84-year-old Jesuit priest, Stan Swami, who was an activist fighting for tribal rights in the eastern Indian state of Jharkhand, became the oldest person in India who was accused of terrorism. He was suffering from Parkinson's disease. He was denied even the use of a sipper to sip water in jail. His bail was rejected several occasions. And finally, he died in hospital on the 5th of July, 2021. This was the time when the pandemic, COVID, was at its peak. So let's assume, just for the sake of argument, that these people were indeed guilty of trying to wage a war against the government of India and unsettle it by, by helping right, uh, left-wing extremists who want to violently, violently uh, overthrow the government. Even if that were true, and I don't, I don't believe that is true, even if that were true, it could be argued that the punishment within quotes meted out to them was highly disproportionate. Some of these individuals are named after several years, after several legal battles, and intervention by the highest court in India are today no longer incarcerated. Some of them are... Parent Joy, forgive me for interrupting, arrest. but I, yeah, I sure, want to please, ask this please. question. Is it significant that Hani Babu is a Muslim who is married to a woman of Christian background? Philip Adams, this government 
is a right-wing Hindu nationalist government. In my opinion, Islamophobia in India is, has, is at its peak. It's at its peak for, I would say, eight years since the 1940s, when the subcontinent, when the Indian subcontinent was partitioned. And you found the, 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 the Pakistan was created in 1947. Since then, we see the hatred of Muslim, Muslims by the Hindu majority community, in my opinion, has peaked. One out of seven Indians in India is Muslim. There, is, there are more Muslims in India than in all but two countries in the world, Indonesia and Pakistan. Yeah. But we see a concerted effort made by the present ruling regime, the dispensation, and the so-called social organization that supports it, supports it, which is the RSS, the full form of which is the Rashtriya Swamsevak Sang, which literally translated means nothing. They are volunteers for the nation. But they've always had this agenda that India should be Hindu state, a Hindu nation. The exact Hindi word for it is Hindu Rashtra. I think uh, under Mr. Narendra Modi as the Prime Minister of India over the last eight and a half years, the RSS and the ruling Bharatiya Janata Party have moved very fast in that direction. So they have successfully demonized one out of seven Indians, which is Muslim. So the the actions against Hani Babu and his religion and that of his wife is perhaps quite significant. So Penn International, of course, has taken up his cause. Let the record show that last year, media watchdog Reporters Without Borders said India is among the five most dangerous countries to be a journalist, especially if you're a woman. I unfortunately have to agree with that categorization. I have been a journalist for 45 years. And today I see a very, very substantial section of the so-called mainstream media in India, completely subservient to the rulers. They're not playing the role that the media is supposed to do in a, in a democracy, holding truth to power exposing corruption in high places, asking questions of those who are in power and authority. And this atmosphere has spread right from the top. Well, Mr. the Narendra fact, the fact that the you f- ask questions has got you into trouble yourself because uh, you have been targeted <laughs> after writing that book about the relationship between Facebook and the BJP. Yes, uh, Uh, two of the richest men in India and uh, the corporate conglomerates they had, they have also uh, served legal notices on me and I'm serving, uh, I'm currently fighting several legal cases, uh, six to be precise, that have been instituted by lawyers representing the richest man in India, Mr. Gautam Adani who is also very well known in your country for the Carmichael Project. Yeah, 
But, but the point I wanted to make was that a very, very substantial section of the media in India has is towing the government line. Whether it's because um, they're ideologically, the journalists are ide ideologically inclined towards the government's point of view, or whether the government has browbeaten or threatened a media organization that they would be denied advertising support if they didn't toe the line. And, and the very, very significant point, and this, this is something that comes right at the top, Mr. Modi happens to be the first and only prime minister of India so far, and we've had over a dozen of them from 1947 onwards. Mr. Modi is the first prime minister of India who's never faced an unscripted, spontaneous media conference where journalists can ask him any question. His media interactions have been with people he's picked and chosen. He has a radio program which is one-way communication, where even the questions are vetted. But the journalists have, who have been picked for hand-picked interviews, they have not asked him difficult questions. They've not followed up questions after his responses. And, you know, the big joke is that here is one of India's popular actors who happens to be a citizen of Canada who got an opportunity to interview Mr. Modi. And among very important questions that he asked him was how he would like to eat a mango fruit. It's a bit of a joke, but this is just an indication that the person who heads the government doesn't want questions to be asked of him, questions which he's not prepared for, or questions <laughs> which, you know, seek to expose his actions and his policies and his strategies and his programs. Well, having, having weaponized social media last year, his government introduced new laws on internet freedom. Tell me about those. There is a very small section of the media which you can argue is critical of the government and to that extent independent and autonomous. The new laws that have been sought to be enacted. Some laws are not yet in place. Some are in the form of rules put out by the bureaucracy or the, or the executives. They seek, in my opinion, to control what journalists can say or not. The entire manner in which uh, complaints mechanisms, grievance redressal systems have been, have been sought to be put in place is heavily weighed, heavily weighted against the journalist in favor of the executive. The law to look at data privacy has been in the making for years and nothing has come out of it. There have been overt methods of changing the Information Technology Act so that the government has greater control of what is put out in the public domain. In, in my very in limited personal experience of uh, pressures on journalists, it's always seemed to me that when times get tough, one of the great dangers is self-censorship. Are journalists tending to do that? Absolutely. 
if journalists realize that if they have to hold on to their jobs, they can't criticize their government, and they have families to support, they have to keep the home fires, the kitchen fires burning, if they've, if, if they've got children to educate, then indeed, indeed, they are browbeaten. Indeed, they keep quiet, even if it goes against their conscience, because it means losing a job. And especially after the, after the pandemic, and this is, not, this is true for the media in many parts of the world, jobs have shrunk. Those who are still holding jobs have often been asked to take very steep salary cuts. New opportunities are not opening. And we are seeing this as a problem that's happening across the world. Unlike in Australia, where your government is willing to ask questions of the digital monopolies, the alphabets and the Googles and the Facebooks and the metas of the world about content sharing and, and, and the way the revenues work and the way the algorithms work. Right now, I believe, and this is my personal opinion, I've written a book on this, the government of India has bent over backwards to accommodate the interests of the giant America-based digital monopolies and, and in turn, the Facebooks and, and, and the Googles of the world have, and, and Twitters of the world have also bent over backwards to accommodate the government's interests. Now, because you're such a troublemaker, I'm going to have to cancel your visa, but I thank you very much <laughs> for your time talking to us. Thank you so us. much. The, uh, the memorable voice of uh, Paranjoy Guha Targata, a freelance investigative journalist, author and documentary filmmaker. And let's talk again down the track. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.